Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Sowing Hilariously on Beautiful Ground. Now, what I want to talk to you about is about the seed of God's Word as it is presented in the parable of the sower. But before we look at the parable, we need to establish our understanding of how the Word of God is best understood, and that is by covenant. When we read the Gospels, we need to differentiate between what was said to those who were listening originally and what it meant to them, and how it can best be understood now in view of the New Covenant. The funny thing about the Gospels is that while we call it the New Testament, the New Covenant doesn't begin until the last chapter of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in John, the second to the last chapter. So 99% of the Gospels were originally intended for a Jewish audience who were still under the Jewish Old Covenant law. And because we don't always read the Gospel through the lens of the New Covenant, many believers struggle with what actually applies to them. We don't throw out what's there. We just have to understand how it can be applied to us. A good example of this is actually Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, which says this, If ye forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, does this scripture still apply to a New Covenant believer? The answer is no. And we know that because the cross changed everything when it comes to forgiveness. We see this truth through what God said through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4:32, which says this, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So the Apostle Paul is saying, Forgive because you have already received forgiveness from the Father by grace, through faith, in the finished work of the cross. So extend that same grace which you yourself have received to others. The principle is, freely you have received, therefore, out of what you have received for free, freely give. Before the cross of Christ, God dealt with believers based on what they did and did not do. That's Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, God deals with believers based on what Jesus did and did not do. Jesus never sinned, and he completely fulfilled the law. And now his obedience is accredited to our account, because we are in him. My point is that just because Jesus said it, it doesn't mean it applies to a New Covenant believer in the same way it was applied to an Old Covenant believer. The overarching premise in both of these scriptures is, that our Father doesn't want any believer walking in what we call unforgiveness, which isn't even a real word. <laughs> because you can't undo what you do, so there's no such thing as unforgiving people. <laughs> we understand that we are withholding forgiveness. And God says withholding forgiveness is detrimental to you, whether it's under the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. But in the New Covenant, we are empowered to do what he asks us to do. And because of Jesus and the cross, the motive to forgive others is no longer fear of our Father, but love. Love for both our Father and our Jesus and the person to whom <laughs> we are offended with. <laughs> but our Father and Jesus have empowered us by the Holy Spirit to be able to forgive and to be willing to forgive. 
The old covenant couldn't do that. It could only tell you what to do and put fear in you if you didn't do it. The new covenant is completely different than the old covenant. So what can we take away from this passage of Scripture? God doesn't like unforgiveness. (laughs) It's detrimental to anyone who's walking in it. So we don't throw away the old covenant. We'd have to throw away two-thirds of the Bible. That's not the point. We just need to understand how to best interpret it in the light of the new covenant. So we don't throw away the Old Testament or the Gospels because the stories in them were spoken to people under the old covenant. Instead, we read to understand the scriptures within their historical context first. And then we see what does and does not apply to a new covenant believer. Now, with that in mind, let's look at the important part of the context of the parable of the sower. Part of context is your audience. Who is listening? Who, when we talk about Jesus, who was he talking to? Jesus spoke his parables to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. Jesus didn't come to the Gentiles. He came to the Jews, the lost house of Israel. He says, you guys are who I'm supposed to use. You're supposed to get this, (laughs) this new covenant thing. You knew it was coming, (laughs) you know. They were looking for the king of Israel. They knew Messiah was coming at that time. They were looking for him, but he did not come the way they expected. And so they didn't necessarily receive everything he had to say. So the Jews, first of all, were unregenerate people. They could not be, quote-unquote, saved the same way that we are. Their faith in Jesus was counted as righteousness. We see this with Abraham. Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. But Abraham himself did not become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because that had not been yet made available. So they didn't become new creations. The people Jesus was talking to were not new creations. And you cannot understand the scripture without the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who brings light to what we read. They didn't have that. (laughs) Now, the Holy Spirit was in operation still. We see that with Peter when God tells him that it is the Father who revealed to him that he was the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit was still active trying to bring light to people, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit on the inside, and they hadn't yet received the new covenant. It wasn't in operation yet. When did the disciples become born again? After Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to his disciples and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You cannot get saved without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Every believer who receives Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. You can't divide God into sections. You can't take him apart. He is one whole. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we receive him, we don't get just Jesus. We get all of who God is. We get the fullness of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Many times you will hear when people are teaching on the baptism of the Spirit, they'll say, come and receive the Holy Spirit. Well, you already have him. And the people who have him know they have him. So they don't understand this whole come get the Holy Spirit thing. (laughs) He's like, no, we want to basically have the baptism to be submerged so that the Holy Spirit comes up and out. (laughs) That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't get that till Pentecost. So they had, quote unquote, salvation. They received the Spirit, but they hadn't yet been empowered from on high because Jesus had stuff he had to do. (laughs) So none of Jesus' audience had the Holy Spirit living in them. And that's important to remember when reading the Gospels. Also, no one understood Jesus' real mission. They didn't know who he was and what he was really up to. 
So they misunderstood a lot of stuff. <laughs> we find that in the scripture where the disciples remembered after he was risen from the dead. Oh, that's what he was talking about. <laughs> they did that a lot. Oh, that's what you meant by that. Because he told them clearly, but they never interpreted properly. So no one knew Jesus' real mission because Jesus wasn't having altar calls for people to come forward and receive the forgiveness of their sins. They already had something established that did that for them, the old sacrificial system. So we really can get confused about what Jesus was doing. <laughs> because when we think of Jesus being at work, we think of people and altar calls and being filled with the Spirit and the gifts and operation and miracles and signs and wonders, all the things that the Holy Spirit provides. That's not exactly what Jesus was doing. He was setting them up for what was to come. They, of course, didn't understand. So Jesus called people to change their minds to return to faith in a good God, not an angry God. Jesus preached and demonstrated the kingdom and the heart of God, a God who was good and gracious, a God who would heal and provide. He pointed people to the goodness of God as a father, to himself as the Messiah, even though he told them, don't tell everybody, <laughs> and to the kingdom of God as available now through faith in Jesus. So that's our context. So let's start looking at the parable. We're going to look at the version that is in Matthew. It is in three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we're going to look mostly at Matthew, beginning with verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the sea. The same day, if you read chapter 12, he had quite a day. <laughs> he was disputing with the Pharisees and the scribes about basically who he was and what kind of authority he had. So that's what he was doing all morning, so to speak. All morning he's arguing with Pharisees, and then it says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into the ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. And other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that was the end of the parable, and there's a break. He tells them this story. He tells them that it is about the kingdom. So now this story is supposed to get their little brains working. <laughs> what does he mean by this? Verse 10 says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. The them he is talking about was primarily the Jewish leaders with whom he had disputed earlier in the day. Now I personally love this scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Because to this day I still remember when the Holy Spirit ministered this verse to me. Holy Spirit says, It has been given to you to know the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom. 
Every believer has been given this same grace to know the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom and how it operates. I love this scripture too because of the word to know. In the Greek, the word to know in this scripture is the Greek word ginosko. And properly, it means to simply know, to have knowledge, right? But that's not the only kind of knowledge. It's personal, hands-on, first-person experience, personally acquainted with. It's the difference between reading a book on swimming and actually getting in the water. (laughs) You can learn all about swimming, but you don't really know swimming until you're in the water. That's what Jesus was saying. You're going to have hands-on personal knowledge of how the kingdom works. Now, why would he want us to have that knowledge? So we can make the kingdom work. (laughs) So we know what it is we can and cannot do. This word is associated, of course, with the word gnosis. comes from gnoso, which means experientially know. The HELPS word study expands the definition, and I like it, so you get to see it. It is a functional working knowledge gleaned from firsthand personal experience. It is connecting theory to application. It is application knowledge gained by a direct relationship. In other words, they were going to have hands-on knowledge of the kingdom because the kingdom came to them. (laughs) Jesus came to them and said, this is how the kingdom works. He operated in the kingdom of God and he said, all y'all, All y'all can do this if you believe. So Jesus is telling his disciples he wants them to have this personal interaction with the kingdom and to know and understand how the kingdom of God works in order to receive the benefits of what's available in the kingdom. But what we need first to see is that it is all by grace. I love this. He didn't say you're going to have to take, you know, 14 classes, spend, you know, seven days fasting. No. It is given. It is a gift. It's grace. We don't earn revelation, knowledge, and understanding. It is given as a gift, a grace, a display of God's heart and God's hand. So what Jesus is offering is grace and truth, the grace and truth of the king and his kingdom. Jesus continues in verse 12 and says this, whosoever hath to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even what he hath. What is the hath? (laughs) He says, if you have it, you're going to get more. And what you do have, if you don't get it, you're going to be taken away. So what is he talking about? He's talking about understanding grace, truth, and the hands-on working knowledge of the king and his kingdom. To those who have, Jesus, (laughs) more is added. You get more and more abundance. That's the kingdom. That's God's way of doing things. But if you don't receive the grace and truth, then even what you do understand is taken away. This has everything to do with the religious leaders because they completely rejected Jesus. They rejected his grace. They rejected his truth. They rejected his kingship and his kingdom. The religious leaders rejected Jesus, all the while knowing indeed He was the long-awaited Messiah. They rejected him because of their fear and jealousy. They were afraid of losing their power, their prestige, and their popularity. And instead, they ended up losing their king and his kingdom. All because they would not hear what Jesus had to say. 
Therefore, he says, speak I unto them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. Why? Why is Jesus hiding it from them so that they can't get saved? No. <laughs> he says, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. The Pharisees and scribes had serious heart problems, <laughs> spiritually speaking, and they didn't want their heart changed or healed. So they chose not to see or hear. But Jesus is kind of sneaky. <laughs> he knows the best way to get to you. We know that many of the religious leaders did come to faith in Christ. Why? Not all of them, but many did. So what Jesus does is he uses the same approach that Nathan the prophet used on the King David. Remember that story? Nathan knew if he confronted David directly about his adultery and murder, that he would simply deny it. Oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so instead, Nathan told David a story. A story about a rich man who had stolen a beloved lamb from a poor man who only had one lamb. And David, looking at the story, was outraged at that rich man's lack of love. And he says, he declares, that man deserves to die. And Nathan says, that man is you. Whoops. <laughs> what happened? What happened to David? He heard. He recognized. He recognized in that moment the truth. And it's all because he looked away from himself and into a story. David's eyes were open to the gravity of what he had actually done. Jesus wanted the religious leaders to see and understand, but they simply would not choose to see and hear. So he told them stories. Stories that eventually could bear fruit. Jesus continues in verse 16, and he says to Peter, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. This is a really cool word, the word blessed. According to the Helps Word Studies, it means blessed, the way we understand it, from the word mac, which means to become long and large. Now say, we go, blessed and long and large, those are the same? <laughs> How does that work? Well, it says properly, it means in the most strictest sense, when God extends his benefits, the advantages he confers on people. It describes a believer who is in an enviable or fortunate position from receiving God's provisions and favor, which literally then extend to make long and large the benefits of grace. A deeper understanding of this Greek word includes the idea of having someone who has received from God something of himself, something not every human is given. This was the understanding of the word blessed in that day, 
in the Greek society. Someone who was blessed had a God who liked them <laughs> and who gave that person something of themselves to make their life better. And they had stuff other people didn't have. Does that sound like anybody we know? <laughs> yeah, that's us. That's us. We're blessed. The disciples' eyes and ears were blessed because their hearts were open to receiving and embracing the truth, specifically the truth about Jesus. They believed Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and the next King of Israel. He continues, verse 17, For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. He's saying, the prophets of old, they foresaw the new covenant. They foresaw a time coming when everything would be done differently, where God could actually say to a human being, I will remember your sins no more. Your iniquity, no more. Everything will be not be held against you no more. That's not something the Jews understood because it was way in the future. It didn't apply to them yet. And so after Jesus tells them that their eyes and their ears are blessed, they are empowered by grace with truth and understanding. That's when he says, you're blessed. You have something of me other people don't have. Peter could see that Jesus really was. He had the understanding. He had the revelation. Jesus was the Messiah. He had at his disposal the very kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you can have it too. And that's why he explains the parable that he had just told them. Verse 18, he says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Not a sower, but the sower. This parable is not called the parable of the seed, which we would probably think it should be. And it's not called the parable of the ground, which that too would be appropriate. <laughs> so the first thing Jesus brings to our attention is that there's a special kind of sower. <laughs> and this is kind of a crazy sower. This is not a cautious sower. This is not a finicky sower. This is not a stingy sower, but a generous and indiscriminate sower. This is a hilarious, cheerful, happy, prompt, and willing sower who knowingly sowed freely and extravagantly on all types of ground. He knowingly threw seed on hard ground. He knowingly threw seed among the thorns. He knowingly sowed on every kind of ground. That's good news. <laughs> Why did Jesus do this? I believe it's because Jesus knows the power of the seed that he is sowing. He knows that the power of grace and truth changes everything. In fact, it's grace and truth that can actually change the soil the seed is sown into. In fact, that's exactly how a heart is changed, by hearing grace and truth over and over and over again. Jesus sows hilariously with great joy and happiness. Now, in Matthew, Matthew doesn't tell us explicitly what these seeds are but he does in Mark chapter 4. The sower soweth the word. Now, when we hear this, we usually think of scripture. 
It's a good connection. But this word communicates a lot more than just scripture. The Greek word here is the word logos. The word logos carries the idea of the expressed communication of God. It includes God's reason, his logic, his thoughts, his heart, everything that he thinks, everything that he is communicated to mankind. That's logos. Okay? The logos is God expressed and communicated. It's not talking primarily about the Old Testament scriptures, although that would be, of course, included in that communication. Also, we know from John chapter 1 that Jesus is the Logos. He is the expressed image of the Father, the communication of the Father. So the word, or Logos of God, includes Jesus and everything he said and did. Jesus was always expressing the Father's thoughts, logic, reason, and love. And of course, for us now, that includes the entirety of the Bible. So we could say the sower sows the revelation and communication of God through speaking. So the communication and revelation of God is made available to those who hear him speaking. The kingdom is available through hearing. Verse 19, Jesus continues. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, let me tell you what this does not say. When anyone heareth the word of salvation, a lot of times ministers will go into the new covenant <laughs> which didn't apply to them yet, and take a spiritual truth that we receive Jesus as an incorruptible seed and stick it in this parable and make this parable about people who forfeit Jesus. That doesn't fit. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about word of the kingdom, understanding how the kingdom works. Now, once you understand how the kingdom works, it will lead you to salvation. But his word is about a much broader subject, basically. So, it's not about how saved people act after <laughs> they are saved. So, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the evil one, and snatcheth away that which hath been sown in his heart. Now, for a Jew, when you say heart, that means mind, will, and emotions. Okay? It is that intangible part of a man. You cannot find a mind... You cannot find a will, and you cannot find an emotion in a person's body. That's the intangible part of us that we call the soul. And when you, when you get your mind, will, and emotions all in the same sink, whatever's in your spirit can come right through. It's getting our mind, will, and emotions all in sync with the truth that resides in our spirit. When we get our mind, our will, and emotions in sync with the Holy Spirit, the power of God is easily transferred. Again, ministers like to reach into their new covenant and say, well, they're talking about the heart. They've asked Jesus into their heart. They didn't do that. Nobody was asking Jesus into their heart. <laughs> they wanted to understand the Messiah and the kingdom. They were looking for a new kingdom and a new deliverer to set up an earthly kingdom. They did not have the same concept of salvation that we have. So we can't take what we already know is coming and shove it in here <laughs> because you get a distortion of what he's trying to say. So he's talking about how the kingdom works. Now, I've heard believers ask the question, how exactly does Satan steal the word from me? What does that look like? The truth is, Satan can't steal the word from you unless you refuse to receive it. I know wonderful, spirit-filled Christians that do not want anything to do with speaking in tongues. You know why? They don't understand it. 
They don't understand that it's available to them, that it's a powerful gift, that it's a free grace of God to enable us to pray perfect prayers. But they're afraid of what they don't understand. So what they do is they refuse it. The only thing Satan can steal is what you refuse. He can't come along and steal stuff out of your brain. <laughs> he can try to talk you out of it. He can try to pressure you out of it. But you've got to let go of it. If you don't let go, you get to keep it. <laughs> so Satan cannot steal God's communication and revelation to us, from us. We have to refuse to receive it. Verse 20. And he that was sown upon the rocky places, this is he that heareth the word, and straightway with joy receive it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but endureth for a while. And when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, straightway he stumbleth. Again, unfortunately, this is often understood to be a saved person who walks away from Jesus and forfeits their salvation. This parable is not about Jesus living inside of a new believer. This is about the process that happens to every person who hears the gospel. How many people do you know heard the gospel once and received Jesus? You ever try to go to places where Jesus is not well known? Do they receive the gospel the first time they hear it? Not usually. You plant the seed and the Holy Spirit has to water that seed and cause the mind, will, and emotion to come into agreement with that word that is sown. Then they can receive Christ. Faith comes because they've received the word. But most people, the first time they receive the word, nope. My husband is a fisherman. Everywhere he goes, he dangles bait <laughs> to see if he can catch a fish for Jesus. <laughs> Some people, they take that nibble. And then we spend 20 minutes at a table with people crying and receiving Jesus. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I've also seen people bite his head off just because he dangled a little Jesus in front of them. They slam that door as hard as they can. They are refusing. They haven't even heard yet. He's just hinted at Jesus, and they're slamming him to pieces. I saw this, and I was like, ow, you didn't even cast it. You didn't do anything, and they're mad. <laughs> That's the reality of when people first hear something. You look in the history, you see how God has been able to little by little get someone to listen to how the kingdom works. That the kingdom really does include healing. Now we believe that. We believe that what Jesus did, he defeated all the power of the enemy. But there are many, many Christians around the world who say, no, maybe he will, maybe he won't. It will just have whatever Jesus wants doesn't work that way. That's not the way the kingdom works. <laughs> it isn't Jesus gets his will every time he wants it. He needs a willing participant. <laughs> and people don't understand how the kingdom works. So this is not about salvation. This is about the process of getting somebody to the point where they can believe. This was about receiving and understanding the truth about who Jesus is. This was about the Jew who begins to see the light that Jesus is the Messiah, and that the kingdom of God was available on earth right then and right there. They believed it. So many said, let's make him king. This guy can feed us forever. <laughs> but then came the pressure from the religious leaders and even their fellow Jews 
to not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They were talked out of it or pressured out of their revelation. After all, no prophet comes out of Nazareth, right? Except he came out of Bethlehem. <laughs> they didn't have their facts straight. <laughs> so this is the person who refuses to continue in the revelation they received about who Jesus was because of external pressures and persecutions. The Jews who were following Jesus were eventually excommunicated from the synagogue, which meant that other Jews would shun them and not be allowed to do any kind of business with them. So the pressure to forfeit Jesus was a real pressure for them. They had to choose, though, to let go of that revelation. Now this reminds me of when I began to see the revelation of the message of God's radical grace. I'm a word of faith girl. <laughs> I've been a word of faith girl for almost 40 years now. But when I came to understand the foundation of grace, it makes your faith work. <laughs> People in the church communities are always trying to make their faith work. When all we got to do to make our faith work is to see the reality of grace. That it's a free gift. And that he gave us his own faith. How could we possibly lose? He gave us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. But when I began to come into this revelation, I didn't just swallow some bait. <laughs> Somebody was dangling. I was like, okay, Jesus, I need to have you talk to me. You see, it's one thing to hear somebody else's revelation. It is a whole nother thing when that revelation becomes yours. That's what changes us, is when the revelation, when the grace and truth goes from our head down into our heart and we see the reality of its truth. So as God was trying to convince me that he really would keep me, and I didn't have to keep myself forever, <laughs> I would get it and rejoice and celebrate, and then I would have questions. <laughs> what about this scripture? And what about that scripture? And what about this? And I would lose it. I don't mean lose, like I can't find it, like I would let go of it. And I'd go, it doesn't seem right. That's too good to be true. You would actually keep me saved? <laughs> I don't have to work at it all the time to make sure I stay saved? No, I don't have to work at it. I just lean on him. Trust in him. He keeps me. I can't possibly keep myself. So I would get it, and I would rejoice in it, and then pressures and tribulations would come and questions and doubts. Do I really believe this? Is this really you, Jesus? Maybe I'm mistaken. And tell me again, Jesus. Tell me again. Over and over and over. He would confirm his word that it was true. This grace is as amazing as we sing about. <laughs> that this grace is as good as it seems. Because it really is that good. But you see, I went through this same process. I would hit a rock here and there. Is this as good and as true as I've been told? Once I was established in the grace, it took a while. It took a while. I'd get it and I'd grow a little more and I'd lose it. Let go of it, I should say. And then tell me again. Get a little more established. Grow some roots. <laughs> it was a process of renewing my mind to a whole different way of thinking. 
I knew the truth from God revealing it to me in and through the Holy Spirit and in and through his written word. So I believe that the person who stumbles in this scripture is the person who hasn't had enough communication and revelation from God and needs more in order to establish himself in that particular truth. The old ways of thinking and other people's persecution of the truth were still influencing the people that Jesus was talking to. They would hear it one day, yes, this is Messiah, this is the King of Kings, and the next day it's, no, it couldn't possibly be him. He's an illegitimate child. This new covenant thing had never been done before. <laughs> it was a whole new way of thinking. So often people let go of their revelation. Verse 22, Jesus continues, He that was sown among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. This, in a way, reminds me of my husband Mark as a kid. Mark grew up with a Pentecostal mama. <laughs> Mark grew up with a Pentecostal mama. You would have thought that kid was going to get saved every week, right? <laughs> he didn't receive Christ until he was 34 and a half years old. He grew up in the house with a Pentecostal mama praying for her baby, and he would not receive Christ. I asked him, what do you think it was that prevented you from receiving Jesus? All of those years, every service, every Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday night, he's rejecting the invitation to receive Christ. And he said, I'm really not sure this is entirely it, but he said, I'm pretty sure I was just afraid Jesus would take away all my fun. Well, that makes perfect sense for a kid. <laughs> because for a kid, fun is doing stuff you know you're not supposed to. <laughs> That's exactly the same way the Pharisees and the religious leaders were. If we accept Jesus as Messiah, if he's the next king, we won't be important anymore. We'll lose our prestige. We'll lose our power over the people. We'll lose all our money. Because they knew Jesus was who he said he was. They did this stuff with their eyes open. <laughs> Even though they closed their eyes to the truth, what they did, they did knowingly and willingly. So... That's what was happening then. This care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choked the word. And that was exactly what happened with those particular Pharisees. They said, no, we'll lose too much money. <laughs> we'll lose too much power. Their desire for money, power, and position were greater than their desire for the Logos of God. Everyone in their society, everyone alive at that time, was looking for what is called the Logos of God. The Greeks had many, 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 many gods, but everyone actually was looking for the Logos of God, the God expressing himself to them and giving them his blessing. So everyone was looking for it, but the Jews knowingly refused it. Verse 23. Finally, Jesus gets to good ground. <laughs> and he that was sown upon the good ground, this is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, who verily beareth fruit and bring forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. This parable is primarily about understanding the grace and the logos of God, the expressed communication and revelation of God through the spoken words of Jesus. But when a minister gets to this point in the parable, he usually asks his congregation, what kind of dirt are you? 
Are you hard and unreceptive? Are you stony and unfaithful? Are you thorny and distracted? What kind of dirt are you? Look inside there and figure out what kind of dirt are you? <laughs> Don't you want to be good dirt? Let's work hard at becoming good dirt. <laughs> and how do they do that? How do they become good dirt? By not acting like bad dirt. <laughs> Now, does this make sense to you? <laughs> Had you ever tried to make yourself good dirt? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I will do this and this and this and this and this will make me good dirt. <laughs> no, Jesus makes us good dirt. Jesus makes us good dirt. That's why Jesus kept preaching the truth of the kingdom no matter who was listening. He's a hilarious sower. He sows anywhere, everywhere, on whosoever. He wants them to hear the word of the kingdom. He knows that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God and the spoken word of Christ. He includes the word about himself and the word from the Holy Spirit. He sows the word, the communication of who God really is. And that's what makes them good dirt, is receiving the word. As New Covenant believers, we are already good dirt. <laughs> when God first made Adam from the dirt, he called Adam very good. In other words, Adam was very good dirt that had the power to produce whatever truth God planted in him. Through Jesus, we are now good dirt. It actually means in its strictest sense, beautiful ground. We are beautiful ground. The word beautiful in Greek means a whole lot more than something that is pleasing to the eye. It means that that beautiful thing functions the way it's supposed to according to its design. As good dirt or beautiful ground, we can receive the Word of God as the Word of God. Completely true. We can plant in ourselves, in our heart, our mind, our will, and emotions, the Word of God until it brings forth the grace benefits we desire. It's the grace and truth that multiplies in our heart that brings forth the life of God through us and to us. This is really good news. That means the Word of God in our dirt can multiply the grace benefits of the kingdom into every area of our life. Some 100-fold, some 60, and some 30. What's interesting about these particular amounts is that they, they are all miraculous. You know what the common yield in farming is? 5% increase. That sounds pretty sad, doesn't it? <laughs> you're going to plant all of this, and you're going to get what you expect, plus 5% more. God says his word in your dirt can bring forth 60 or 100. And he says actually fold, <laughs> not actually times, but it's miraculous amounts. It means there's nothing the word of God in your dirt can't produce in your life. So what's the difference in the harvest? How do you get from 30 to 60 to 100? How do we get that working in us? And it's easy. Just ask a farmer. If you want more harvest, what do you got to do? Plant more seed. <laughs> That's all. If you want a bigger harvest, a bigger amount of the power of God coming out of you, the grace and truth of God coming out of you, what are you going to do? Plant seed. The Word of God in this beautiful ground. And remember, He's the sower. 
You can't do this by yourself. You can't do this with self-effort. You can't produce the life of God in yourself or through yourself. It is him in us working. He's the sower. He gives us his word. He ministereth seed. He ministereth not just financial seed. He ministereth the word to us so that that stuff will grow out of us. Amen. (laughs) The difference is planting. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows in blessing shall also reap in blessing. But he who sows with grace shall reap of grace miraculously. I borrowed that from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. (laughs) But it's true. Grace and truth through Jesus Christ changes everything. It even changes our dirt. (laughs) So that the word of God can have its full weight in our life and produce the greatest benefits of his grace. We are beautiful ground. And he sows his seed hilariously and abundantly and indiscriminately to whosoever will listen. Now, this message, of course, is intended to encourage us to spend time with God in the Word because it's the seed of God's Word that changes us and brings forth the kingdom. The kingdom operates by his Word. I have a little testimony about spending time with God in his Word. I wanted to tell you how I received my God dog. Just before Christmas, we had to put our little Shih Tzu down. And my emotions wanted to run right out and get a new dog. Any dog. Just shove a dog in my heart now. (laughs) I need a dog. (laughs) But that's not really what I wanted. I wanted a God dog. My first dog was a God dog too. And so I only wanted a dog that I knew came from God. Now, I knew my husband wasn't keen on the idea of another dog, so I was open for the Lord to say, no, that's not my best for you. But he never said that. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Now, I had a list. I had a wish list of what I wanted in this God dog. I wanted a purebred poodle. I wanted him to be a standard size poodle. But I wanted him to be small for his size. I wanted him to be black and white. I wanted him to have been through obedience training. I wanted him to have been through all the health testing with good results. I wanted him to be at least a year old. I didn't want to pay a lot for him. And I wanted the trial period so we could figure out if we were a good fit. Now, in the natural, this is impossible. But I have a father in heaven who's very good with impossible. All I really needed was a word. Everything comes from the word, the spoken word of Christ. Faith comes when we hear God speak. What we really need is a word. So, one day after I finished my usual reading plan, reading, I asked God to specifically talk to me about my God dog through his written word. So he directed me to Acts chapter 12, which is about the Apostle Peter's miraculous escape from prison. I read it several times, but I didn't see what it had to do with my God dog. There were no dogs in chapter 12 of Acts. Okay, so I read it several times. The Holy Spirit didn't seem to be saying anything. And I said, okay, Lord, reveal it to me. So he said, what's the story about? When God asks you a question, he doesn't need to know the answer. You do. (laughs) So I started to explain to myself what the answer was. So I started to explain it in simple terms. I realized that the Holy Spirit was showing me something. Peter was destined by man to be put to death. But God intervened and changed his destiny. What I saw was that just because one person saw my God dog as destined in one place, 
God could intervene and change the destiny of that dog. God can do the miraculous. So I wrote that down in my journal. That was several days before Christmas. So I'm saying, okay, God, the kind of dog I have on my wish list is impossible. That kind of dog would cost approximately $5,000. Oh, my husband isn't going to let me pay that kind of money for a dog. <laughs> I don't want to pay that kind of money for a dog. But is this what you're telling me? That a dog that was destined by man for one place, you're going to redestine that dog to my place? Hmm, that sounds good. <laughs> so over the months, I just keep going, hmm, destiny. You've destined the dog to come to me. Okay, I kept looking online. I don't see what I want. I didn't know if I was actually going to get what was on my wish list. All I really wanted was a dog that came from God. So sometime later, I was looking online. I did this probably for a month because my emotions were still screaming, shove a dog in here. <laughs> we need a dog. We need one now. <laughs> don't listen to your emotions. They're dumb. <laughs> they don't know anything except how they feel. <laughs> they are not intelligent. <laughs> That's why we're not supposed to live by them because they have no brains. <laughs> they, all they do is feel. So on another day, about six weeks later, I did the exact same thing. And the Holy Spirit led me to the exact same scripture. And he almost never does that. I was like, the same one? What did I miss the first time? <laughs> so as I was reading it again, God talked to me about timing. The first time he used the scripture, it was about destiny. The second time he used the scripture, it was about timing. Peter was miraculously released from prison the week of Passover. So I said, okay, I don't know what this God dog looks like, but you say it's going to come sometime right before Easter. So I'm not going to look for a dog anymore. I'm just going to wait and see what you do. So again, another six weeks go by. So I have destiny and I have timing. He gives me the same scripture again. I'm like, you are funny. You are hilarious. <laughs> you keep bringing me to the same scripture. What do you want me to see this time? Peter was set free. Free? A God dog for free? I wrote it in my journal. God dog for free? Question mark? Free? Question mark? Because that would be miraculous. A free God dog? I'll take it. I'll take it, Lord. Sounds good to me. The only thing I did in order to receive my God dog was believe that God was talking to me by the Holy Spirit through his word. That's it. He talked to me about the dog's destiny, the timing of the dog, and finally the price of the dog. The second day of April, my daughter got a call from somebody. says, I have a proposition for you. I have a purebred standard poodle. I need some place for him to go. Whoever will take him can have him for free as long as they agree to give me breeding rights. Let's see. He was black and white. He was a standard poodle, but small for his size. He had been through obedience training as a service dog. He had all the health testing because he was used for breeding. He was two and a half years old, and I could take him on a trial basis to see if he was a good fit. He would be free. All I had to do was agree. 
Do you know how impossible this wish list is? How impossible it is for me to get a dog with all of those qualifications, the size, the color. <laughs> it's impossible for me to have arranged it. But God, but God through his word, through his Holy Spirit speaking to me, revealing God's communication. I thought afterwards, I must be really slow because I probably could have got this all the first time. <laughs> but God knows when you need a word. You see, I needed to know that he was working on it at Christmas time. And then when I got this second word, like in January, God was working on it. And I got the third word, um, like probably in March. God is working on it. God's doing the impossible on my behalf, and all I have to do is believe his word. If God will do the miraculous, the impossible, simply because we hear him, why not hear him more? Why not hear him more? The harvest is determined by the planting. What if I never took the time to hear the Lord? He still speaks. But see, when we get a word from God and we write it down, you know what we're saying? I know this is real. This is a real word from a real God who loves me, who's interested in everything in my life, even my dog. <laughs> Nothing is impossible. The word of God in us, to us, and through us changes everything. Whatever we need in the kingdom of God comes from a seed called his word. The interesting thing about seed is that if you plant a seed today, it will not be a plant tomorrow. It will not be a tree tomorrow. It takes time. You know the average growing time for vegetables and stuff like that? Four months. Got my first word in December. <laughs> Got my dog in four months. It was just a seed of faith in my heart. I believe you're talking. My flesh would say, yay, I have great faith. No. <laughs> I just believed what he said. He has promised that in the kingdom, everything we have, everything we need for life and for godliness is in the kingdom. And it comes forth by seed. So let's take advantage of the fact that our good dirt grows anything we put in it. You put the word of God in your dirt and it will grow. It will produce life. Amen. You're a good, good father and you are a hilarious sower of seed. You love to speak to us. You love to talk to us. You love to sow the truth into our heart. The truth of grace, the truth of your love, the truth of your forgiveness, the truth of your amazing love for us. We thank you that you love to sow seed into us and through us. We thank you that you are hilarious. You are hilarious and you work with us to, to receive your word through your written word. Father God, we thank you that today we get to embrace the fact that we are good dirt and good dirt can grow anything. So, Father God, I ask that you would sow the seed of grace and truth in every heart for whatever it is that they have need of, that there's a seed for that. You have a word for that. You have a word that will bring forth what they are asking for in and through the power of the kingdom. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.